welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Kids channel. We'll take you behind the scenes and preview new movies and DVD releases. Now, here are all of your hosts for Kids First Coming Attractions. Thank you and welcome to the program. I'm your host, Raven Devaney, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. Today we are talking about The Woman in Gold, Furious 7, and The Longest Ride. So to start off the show, we are talking about The Furious 7 with our very own Shelby. How are you doing today, Shelby? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing very well. It is lovely to have you on the show with us. Um, so this is the seventh installment, if you guys couldn't tell from the name, The Furious 7, in the Fast and Furious uh, movie franchise. So if you could tell us a little bit about the crazy action that the crew goes on this time around, that would be wonderful. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the movie is about uh, seeking revenge and protecting family. And um, basically there's this, like, bad guy... Um, Deckard Shaw and the crew killed his brother and so um, Ian Shaw is seeking revenge out on the Toretto game. So that's basically what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. And have you seen any of the other uh, Furious, Fast and Furious movies? <laughs> Unfortunately, no, but after So this was like this your movie. first introduction to the, the Fast and Furious movies? Yes. Wow, way to jump in at the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Um, well, actually, I heard they were making another one, so. Yeah, oh, no, they will They will continue um, to make them forever. For For the listeners, um, before we, we just started the show, we were talking, and Kiefer, one of the other hosts, was just saying, at the rate they're at, they're going to be making Fast and Furious movies, and they're going to be riding around in wheelchairs, <laughs> which I could see happening, like crazy, like, motor-powered, flame-throwing wheelchairs. Oh, my goodness. Um, wow. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about the... Um, visuals in this film because from what I I've never seen um any of the Fast and Furious movies all the way through I think I saw the second one like the middle of it because my dad was watching it um but from what I can tell from the bits that I've seen and all of the trailers that I'm always seeing it seems very intense very loud very colorful so talk to me a little bit about the visuals um well the visuals were oh my gosh it was fantastic uh the Actually, um, I did a little research, and um, I noticed that the director, um, James Wan, is a horror movie director, which explains why the movie was so intense, because it was just every minute when you were just watching the screen, you were just gripping your seat because you were so scared if someone was going to die. You, it was just, it was an intense experience, and um, the cinematographers did a really great job showing interesting camera angles and showing different points of view. And um, the thing I enjoyed the most about watching the film just visually is seeing how the cars like impacted each other. There's like one scene where like the cars are just running into each other and there's like just several different ways the um, cinematographer shows how the cars come at each other. And it just feels like you're watching a 3D movie. It should be in 3D because it was just so extreme and sometimes I felt like pieces of cars were just 
being thrown at me and it was it was a wild ride it was (laughs) crazy yeah it sounds it sounds pretty intense and talk to me a little bit about the cars because it is I feel like the movies are centered around the cars and the cars don't just get them from A to B but they also do some crazy stuff that not our everyday vehicles do um so can you talk to me about some of the interesting or unique things that some of the cars featured um Oh my gosh. Uh, well, the cars kind of like reflected each character's style. So that also gave you like um, a clue to what this character is most like. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, um, Vin Diesel's character and Paul Walker's character have the coolest cars because, you yeah. know, they're the coolest guys. Um, there's one car in the film where it, it's. It's not, like, a car you've ever seen before. It's, like, bulletproof, and it has all these crazy features. Um, Oh, my gosh. It's bulletproof. Um, It has... I I can't even remember, because there's just so many things to the the car, but it's, like, over a million dollars, and, like, a billionaire has... It's crazy what the cars can do. Um, One of... um, Let me think. Oh, there's um there's one scene where the like really expensive red car is flying in the air and it's like going through three buildings <laughs> and it was just it was crazy. I like I never thought I would ever see a flying car on the screen, but I did. They did the impossible with cars. I did not know cars could fly. It was amazing to see that. <laughs> yeah. I think- <laughs> The cars in, in these movies, they're kind of like Swiss Army knives. Like, there's just so <laughs> many different, like, extensions here and there and all over the place. And it's not just a car. Like, it's not just a knife. It's got all this this crazy stuff. Um, So you mentioned Vin Diesel's character had the coolest car. Uh, this The cast features a lot of very iconic people, specifically to, like, the, the Fast and Furious franchise, such as Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, um, Dwayne Johnson... So can you talk to me a little bit about their performance and how they work as a team since they have been making these movies for quite a long time now? Um, well, since I haven't seen all the movies, it was very um, it was very obvious the connection that all of the actors had as characters, which which really helped on screen with their chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, they it was just like watching them. It seemed like they were an actual family. And it was just really nice to see how, like, they really connected. Um, All of the characters, the casting was perfect. I mean, I could not imagine anybody else being um, Roman or being Hobbes. Um, All of the characters are just equally funny and just lovable. And it's just hard to hate one of the characters. It's really hard. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids Network. I'm your host, Raven Devaney, and right now we are talking about the Furious 7 with Shelby. She was just telling me all about how crazy all of the cars are and the cast is perfect. Uh, since this is the first uh, Fast and Furious movie you've seen, and it's the seventh one, do you think that it's necessary for people to watch all of the movies in the series before they watch the newest one? Or do you think that you were able to, you know follow along pretty easily 
For me, I thought it was very obvious, the plot and everything. Um, I, I, I didn't have any questions that I was wondering. I just hate that I didn't get to see all the other movies. <laughs> but um, the writer does a very good job for people that haven't seen the movie to understand the plot and what each character is going through. So it's not difficult. You could see Furious 7 and all the other ones and just understand everything. Mm-hmm. And so was this, and I know you haven't seen any of the um, the previous films, but does it seem like this movie had like its own separate plot line from the other ones? Or is it kind of like a series that has like a similar plot throughout the whole thing? Um, I would say a different plot. Mm-hmm. Um, with this movie, it wasn't just seeking revenge like um, Vin Diesel's character, Dominic, really emphasizes how important family is and how um, you need to know when to stop dodging the bullet. So I really um, I really connected to what the plot was saying, and I just felt like it was different, and it wasn't like your typical action thriller movie. It, um, it, really, it really wasn't about the action, even though the action was, like, really good. Um, there's also a plot, and there was also... Um, something that the characters were risking for like they like it felt even more dangerous to see them you know risking their lives because they had people that they care about that they were fighting for so it was very um it was very good and heartfelt Mm -hmm. and hilarious and just amazing Mm -hmm. so there are definitely some underlying messages and uh, morals to the story you'd say Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, because I personally am not the biggest fan. Like, I like action and adventure movies and stuff, but, like, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, I don't know, like, big, like, muscular dudes driving, like, (laughs) you know? Like, that's not my, like, personal preference when it comes to my my cinema experience, but I think it's kind of cool that they, it's not just, like, ooh, look at our fast cars and, like, our muscles and stuff, but it has like, an underlying message and stories and morals that you can get from it, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so can you talk to me about a favorite character, if you have one? Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Um, I don't, I can't choose, I'm, like, in between, um, Hobbs and Roman. Um, Roman is played by Tyrese Gibson, and Hobbs is played by Dwayne Johnson. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I would say, okay, I'm just going to choose two. Um, okay, okay, Hobbs, because um, he just has this hilarious one-liners, and he's just kind of that guy that's, like, random but hilarious. Um, and then I would say Roman, because Roman, I really connect to him because he's the kind of guy that says what everybody else is thinking, mm-hmm. and um, he kind of has no filter. Um <laughs> He acts like he's, like, a tough guy, but really he's, like, scared. So that's very funny. He's very humorous. He's the Joker, um, never takes things seriously. So it was really um, funny to see him and just him being a part of the gang. He was just so funny. Yeah. Well, quickly, before we're out of time, can you tell me what age range you would recommend this film for, since it does seem to be a little bit intense? Definitely 13 to 17 because um, the scenes at some moments, they're just very intense. And I don't think younger um, audiences could handle the scenes and the loud explosions and sound mm-hmm. effects. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for telling me all about The Furious 7. Guys, make sure you check it out. It is in theaters now. Shelby, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Let's take a break. I'm your host, Raven Durrani, from Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids. Looking for a show about your favorite movies, stars, and DVD releases? Get ready for Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Your hosts, all eight of them, have been selected by Kids First as film critics through a national competition. Each week, they will preview new movies before you see them, walk the red carpet with the stars, and will review the latest DVDs. Our hosts range from ages 7 to 14 to give you a wider kid's perspective. Kids First Coming Attractions is heard every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Kids. The longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. What does indie mean? It's short for independent. What does that mean? Whatever you want it to mean. When you are indie, you don't just go with the flow. You set the pace. Indie can mean a style of music, dress, or just a way of life. It's what sets you apart from the rest of the crowd. Everybody has a little bit of indie in them. It's beautiful. It's cool. It's you. Tune in to Indie on Voice America Kids. Live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you don't feel indie yet, make it a part of you. Keep it right here. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn your phone off. Another movie is coming up. Hey, welcome back to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keith Blakesley, and you're listening to Voice America Kids. Today, we're going to be talking about the films Women in Gold, The Longest Ride, and Fast and Furious 7. We just got done talking to Shelby about that film, and now we're going to talk to a great film critic, Willie, on Fast and Furious 7. How are you doing, Willie? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. So, um, tell us what do you, um, tell us a little about this film. Well, Fast and Furious 7 is all about this hitman who comes to take out the group, and the group seeks revenge on him, of course. Fast. That's a fast synopsis. Wow, I was expecting a little bit more. <laughs> Short well, and I mean, sweet. It's not exactly, um, you know, an overcomplicated plot, but it is a really good story. Well, it's short and sweet, and we need the entertaining films like that. So, Willie from Orlando, have you seen the original? Um, sorry, the previous Fast and Furious films. Yes, yes, I have. I'm I'm a huge fan of the last one. So um, I was really excited to see this one, to see what they could come up with next. So as a fan of Fast and Furious 7, do you think this is the best out of the other six films? I wouldn't say it's the best. I'd call it the second best. I, I think number six is the best of, um, of the whole entire series. And so what did you feel like this film contributed to um, the characters um, to, um, with this new film? Well, I can't really give a lot away... Here, but there are definitely some big reveals with um, with, you know, with some of the characters, some some secrets that are that are revealed that really add different dimensions to them. That that us as an audience, we get to connect with them even more. And we do have to mention about Paul Walker and um, his uh, untimely death in this film, and how they. I heard they made a big um, tribute to him in the film. Did you see that? 
Yes, I did. Um, I'm not going to reveal where it comes, but just know it it, it, it is emotional. And um, if you're a fan of the series, if you're a fan of Paul Walker, it, it will get you emotional because it's it's a fantastic tribute. It's the best part of the whole movie, um, in my opinion. That's great. They did that to the one to um, Paul Walker in this film. That's very nice. So, I have not seen the, the Fast and Furious um, trilogy, any of them. So, um, not trilogy. Sorry, there's six films. I have not seen fa- any of the Fast and Furious films. So. Would you recommend me seeing the other films for me to fully enjoy Fast and Furious 7? Yes, you have to. Fast and Furious 7 is definitely the most emotional of all the seven films. It's the one that really tries to pack a punch in the writing department. And so you have to grow an attachment to these characters. And you can only grow the attachment if you go on the journey with them with the previous six films. That makes sense. So I guess I have a marathon of um, racing action <laughs> adventure. <laughs> So speaking of which, of the speaking of the action, what did you think about this in this film with all the car action? Um, it was definitely exciting. I was on the edge of my chair. Um, you know, breath held many times. Uh, it was suspenseful. It was it was brilliant special effects and um, stunt choreography. I, I loved every minute of it. And it's nice to hear that we have a action film that has actually some good drama and characters too. And that's always, I'm always happy to hear that. Yeah, um, there, there is some good drama, especially in the in the second half. Although the the first twenty twenty five minutes or so, I would say were a little too over dramatic for me, a little too melodramatic. But um, it, it makes up for it in the, in the second half of the film. That's good to hear. So, um, were there any particular favorite action sequences that you um, that stood out to you? Um, the ending fight. Uh, action movies, good ones, always have this way of making sure the ending fight is the best fight that you remember. And definitely the the ending fight, um, and and this one takes the cake out of, out of out of all of them. You know, whenever I just see this, I the cars and how big and how how again muscular men, big cars with they just I don't know it just sounds funny to me, and it looks it looks like a over top action film. But sometimes we just need that kind of stuff, like Commando or Rambo or The Expendables. Oh yeah, this is. This is the best summer blockbuster you're going to see in the spring. Um, it, it has everything you want in an action movie and more. Well, I got to check it out. So, were there any particular favorite characters you had? Characters? Um, I love The Rock's characters. <laughs> the, the Rock's character. Um, he's, he's very funny. And me personally, I'm always, I always root for the villain for some reason. I don't know. I, I just like uh, I just like to see the bad guys win for a change. So I definitely love the villain in this film, which is played by um, Jason Statham, who does a fantastic job. Oh, he must be a great villain. You're listening to Voice America Kids Network. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley, and today we were talking about the films *Woman in Gold*, *The Longest Ride*, and *Fast and Furious*. *Fast and Furious 7*. We're going to continue talking to. Willie on Fast and Furious 7 and how it's a great action film. It's the best summer blockbuster you will see in the spring. That should be a tagline for the movie poster because that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, what do you, um, what do you think of there's any morals in this film that um, people can learn? Any morals? Um, I didn't really notice any morals as much as I did, uh, you know, themes that resonate with you. Like memory, um, you know how how you tend to remember the the best moments when you're about to lose someone. 
I guess that's the closest thing to a moral that, that's in the film. But the film's really more about certain themes, and you know, rather than I'm um, trying to teach us something. Hmm. That's nice. So, um, I hear they're making more Fast and Furious films. As a fan, are you excited, or do you feel like they just should have left it at Fast and Furious Seven? I mean, on one hand, I'm very interested to see how they're going to continue the series without having Paul Walker there. Yes. And on the other hand, I feel like this this film ended on such a such a great note, such a high note, considering all that went on, you know, in in um, pre production. I'm I'm kind of iffy on that. Um, mm. If if the next films are going to be great and they're going to really tie in and not seem like films that are just in it for the money, then I'm all for it. Yeah, with any sequel, it's going to be hard because I believe there was a quote from Steven Spielberg that said. Making a sequel is hard because you're pretty much going to be topping yourself. Mm-hmm. So exactly. and that's, that's hard, especially when you land it on a high note. It, it really is. And, you know, you, you try and overdo things. Um, you know, you, you start being conscious about certain things you did in the last film. And, and you try and overblow certain elements, especially in the writing and directing departments. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Agreed. And only time can tell. So speaking about the writing, is it just catchphrase after catchphrase, or there is some character development here? But what do you think of the writing? Uh, it really does depend on which part of the film and who the character is. Like I said, the first twenty twenty-five minutes seem like um, you know right out of Days of Our Lives. You know, it's very soap operatic. <laughs> and then, of course, you have the great one-liners by Tyrese Gibson later on in the film. Overall, the writing is. It's what you expect. It's no different than any other of the Fast and Furious movies. What really separates this film is not the writing. It's the sentiment that's attached to it. And, of course, the fantastic action sequences. As we get further in cinema throughout the years, of course, the uh, special effects get better and better. And it's really fun to watch. I'm glad to hear that the writing's still pretty much what Fast and Furious is. And it's going to both tend to the audience and the fans of the film. Yeah, really well. If you're a fan of Fast and Furious, this is going to be, you know, a fantastic experience for you. And if you're not a fan, well, you got to go either check out the other films or it's just another action film for you. Yeah, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the, the big booms. That's, sometimes you just got to go see a film and just watch things explode. I mean... Yeah, yeah got to let your mind free. Yeah, totally agree. So, um, what do you say the age range for this film? Um, definitely 13 and up. Um, you know, it's, there, there can be some intense moments. I just think that the explosions, um, some of the themes may be a little too, too mature for a younger audiences. So 13, 13 to 17 seems, seems like a really good age range right there. Sounds good. And how many stars would you give this film? I can give this film three and a half out of five stars. It's a fantastic movie. And why three and a half? Well, I, I really do feel that the opening 20 minutes are, you know, even to fans, are going to hinder them because it, it's a slow 20, 25 minutes, you know? Yeah. I, I understand that they're trying to build up to the story, but it's, it gets to the point where you're like, come on, wait, you know, where's the action now? So <laughs> that's, that's the only reason, pretty much. Where's the cars jumping out of airplanes? I mean, come on. Exactly. That's, and, you know, that's actually in, in the movie. Yep, I saw the trailer on that, and when I saw that, I'm thinking... Really? You gotta stretch your belief system there. It was really cool to watch. Well, I certainly need to catch up on my Fast and Furious films, so 
after the radio show, I'm going to Netflix and I'll be doing that. So, um, but <laughs> thank you very much, Willie, for talking about Fast and Furious 7. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Oh, go, please go check out this film in theaters. I'm, let's take a break. I'm your host, Keith Blakesley, and you're listening to Voice American Kids. Join us every week for the Paper Hope Street Team. None of our topics are off the table. This is a program that you can listen to and discuss with your family. From the pages of the Paper Hope blog to the internet radio airwaves, we'll talk about the topics you want to talk about, such as friendship and relationships, or some more controversial issues about sex, drugs, and underage drinking. Join the Paper Hope Street Team live every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Kids channel. Let's talk soon. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Tune in every Monday for Purple Songs Can Fly. Our program serves as a musical outlet for children being treated at the Texas Children's Cancer and Hematology Centers. These songs are flown all over the world and even into space. Hundreds of songs have been written and recorded and have been part of shuttle missions, airline in-flight playlists, toured with the Rolling Stones, gone undersea and to the top of Mount Everest. Join our hosts for some great music on Purple Songs Can Fly, Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. There's so much going on in the tech field. The tech team is here to sort it all out so that you know exactly what you need to get and what you should avoid. In this age of cell phones and text messaging and new discoveries every single day, you need to be informed. We'll bring you previews of new products, technology news, and help you make the right decision when you are out there buying that new MP3 player, cell phone, or mobile device. Don't do a thing until you've tuned in to the tech team. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Kids. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Real kids, you are Real tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn your phone off. Another movie is coming up. Hey, and welcome back to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Raven Devaney, and you're listening to Voice America Kids. So right now, we are going to be talking about the wonderful film, Woman in Gold, and we have with us Willie. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I am doing very well. So I still have not gotten around to see this film, but I am dying to see it. It looks absolutely beautiful. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about this? Okay. Well, Woman in Gold is about the quest of a lawyer named Randall and an heir named Maria who attempt to get back, get back a painting that belongs to Maria. Um, the paintings were of Maria's and, but they were unfortunately stolen by the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And so since this film is a period piece, what did you think of the visuals in respect to how they captured this time period and um, the feel of this period? Well, the interesting thing is that... Um, there are flashbacks to the early 20s, and then, you know, there, it takes place in uh, late 90s Los Angeles. And Simon Curtis and a cinematographer use this golden brown cinematography to separate the times. And it's such a beautiful cinematography. It, it gives off this, this vibe of nostalgia that really helps in the flashback scenes. Ironically enough, because it's named Woman in Gold, they use the golden cinematography, which was very intelligent on their part. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, this film is centered around the painting, Woman in Gold, which is of her aunt. Um, tell me a little bit about the painting, because since it is such um, a important part of the piece. Well, it's a famous painting. It's a real painting that was painted by Gustav Klimt. And it's of um, Maria's it was of Maria's aunt. And when it was stolen by the Nazis, of course, um, the, the government took it back. And they, and they held it in their own museum. And it became kind of like the Mona Lisa of Vienna. Mm-hmm. So it, it only makes sense that you'd want this painting back, you know, for the purpose of, of keeping what is rightfully hers and having it be a family heirloom. Um, so since this film is based off of a true story and, you know, a real painting and a real woman and a real story that actually happened, um, how do you think Simon Curtis did capturing the reality of the film and the reality of the story? Well, this is Simon Curtis's um, feature film debut, and I, I think he does, a fa- he does a fantastic job, especially with a film such as this, with flashbacks and whatnot. I, I think he captures the tone very well, and he mixes tones. And, you know, when you mix tones, it's, it's hard to, you know, make sure that you don't get delve into one tone too much. He handles the comedic, the dramatic, and the overdramatic extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the cast. It has Ryan Reynolds, Helen Mirren, Katie Holmes. Um, so tell me about how they all worked together and how they portrayed these characters. Well, I, I mean, it's to no offense to the rest of the cast, but the film really is um, a, a spotlight for Helen Mirren. Um, mm-hmm. Sporting her Vienna accent, she does a, an absolute fantastic job. She's one of my favorite actresses. She, she delves into the character so much. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, her, her vulnerability as an actress to emote, um, it, it gets to you, you know? It, it brought tears to my eyes. And the surprise of Ryan Reynolds, to me, he gives his best performance. Um, I've seen a lot of his movies, and I can tell you he's he's never been better than in this movie. Wow. Yeah, I am a huge fan of Ryan Reynolds, and I've seen him in mostly um, comedic films. So I think it's definitely very cool for him to be taking on a more serious role. But as you mentioned, there is a nice balance of comedy and drama. Um, what genre would you say that this film falls under? Um, at the end of the day, this is this is a drama. Mm-hmm. It's a drama. The comedic moments are more for um, for, for lightness, you know. Yeah. But comedic it's really, relief. Really a drama. Yeah, comedic relief. But this really is a drama. Absolutely. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about Helen Mirren's character, Maria, since she is the star of the show and, you know, takes the spotlight. She seems like a very strong woman. I mean, she she is told no so many times and sort of faces this impossible task. Like, she is going up against, like, this country trying to get back this painting. Mm-hmm. And so I think it would take a lot to portray such a strong um, character. So talk to me a little bit more about her character and, you know if she transformed throughout the film. Well, Maria is an older woman, mm-hmm. and um, she she has this fear of going back to her hometown because of what happened there. Mm-hmm. So the prospect of having to go back there to get what's rightfully hers isn't really exciting, but she does in any way for the pursuit of justice. And, and throughout the film, you really see this roller coaster, and this is where Dame Helen Mirren does such a great job with the character. Each moment is a different moment. You know, She doesn't completely just do a 180 on us. You know, that's a tribute to good writing and good acting. Maria's a very strong woman. She's, she, she wants what's hers, and, you know, if it gets to be too tired, yeah, she reels it back, but at the end of the day, she does the right thing because she is older and she is wiser. 
Absolutely. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm your host, Raven Devaney, and right now we are talking about the beautiful film, The Woman in Gold, um, which is based off of a true story about a woman named Maria who is uh, going after a painting which was made of her aunt, um, and it was taken during uh, World War II and put in a museum, and she's trying to get it back because it is rightfully hers. So we have with us Willie telling us all about this wonderful film that I cannot wait to see. Um, so since this film does have heavier topics in it, and it is a drama, and it definitely, as you said, it features flashbacks, so I'm assuming there's a look at um, World War II in it, uh, what do you think the age rating for this film should be? 13 to 17. Um, 13 is, um, is an old enough age to, to really understand the themes of this movie. Mm-hmm. And do you think that adults would be able to enjoy this as well, or, you know, uh, teenagers could go to their... Uh, parents and see this with them oh yeah definitely this is a this is a family film mm-hmm. you know the, the language is very limited um there's i don't recall there being any violence at all mm-hmm. there's no suggestive themes it's a family movie absolutely it just is a little bit heavier that's nice because um i know my brother he, it's funny my brother's 10 years old and like into action movies and stuff but he really wants to see this so i was like oh, i wonder if i should take him to this and, and see so we shall see um so since it is centered around a true story and does have um, World War II in it, I know it is for entertainment, but do you think um, there's any educational value in it or that you learned anything from it? Oh, yeah, this is definitely um, an educational thing because this doesn't only deal with the stealing of the woman in gold painting. This has to do with the Nazis stealing a ton of paintings. This has to do with you know, tons of families who, whose heirlooms and whose, whose prized possessions were stolen and who still don't have them back. Mm-hmm. This is definitely an educational film, and it raises awareness of, you know, of of the injustices that are still going on today. Yeah, I think that's really cool because I think it's so easy to overlook things that have happened, um, what seems like so far in the past, and it's kind of easy to be like, oh, well, that's just history, but there are still injustices going on to this day. Um, surrounding that so i think it's it's very cool that it was able to raise awareness and and intrigue and interest about this talk to me a little bit about the soundtrack of the film um because from what i've heard from the uh previews and from the music director it seems like beautiful music so talk to me a little bit about that it really is beautiful music anytime you you see a film this heavy emotionally it really takes a, a fantastic score to to get that extra edge of emotion out of it, you know, it's kind of like that that ringing tone in the background that that brings up these these emotions because we respond to music and the woman in gold. Yeah, Hans Zimmer did the score, and Hans Zimmer is one of my um, favorite composers, especially for cinema. He composed Interstellar. Um, if you've seen it and if you've heard the score, it's beautiful. So his score for the woman in gold, it, it's it's fantastic. I can't praise the aesthetics of this film enough. It's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am a huge fan of Hans Zimmer as well. I think his work in Interstellar was like what made the movie like. Yes, it, in and, my opinion, like it's what made the movie. So I can only imagine that it's <laughs> incredible in this film. Um, so do you have a favorite character or a character that you relate to in any way? Favorite character? Um, I I relate to not necessarily the characters themselves, but their ambitions, what they want. You know, mm-hmm. they, they want they want justice. Um, in certain times, they feel like, you know, hope is lost, and then they're, they're brought back to hope again. I can relate to their, 
you know, emotional fluctuations, but not necessarily the character themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's probably because of my age. I haven't, you know, really lived long enough to experience the thing they've they the things they've experienced. Yeah. I find a lot of times in movies it it may be difficult to find like a specific character that you relate to, but I always find that there's either aspects of the story or aspects of different characters that anyone is able to relate to, you know. We all have mm-hmm. this common experience of life whether or not we specifically relate to a character. So I think it's cool that you were able to find different ambitions and and aspects of their life that you related to. Um along that same topic of favorite things, do you have a favorite character? Favorite character? Um, I love Maria. I know it's probably a cliche, ex- uh, you know, expected answer, but I, I, I do love Maria. Mm-hmm. And she sounds wonderful. I mean, it sounds like her character and, and um, you know, she seems like, you know, just the star of the show and Helen Mirren. I'm a huge fan of hers, so I can only imagine that she did a wonderful job portraying this role. Um, so I know there is definitely a theme of message and morals of justice and perseverance and following through throughout this film but do you think that there are any other messages or morals that can be gained from this film that you would like to touch on um yeah there's ryan reynolds character is often found with the with the dilemma of you know do i do what's right for my family or do i do what's right for this woman you know and this this film really um it 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 tells us about gut reactions, you know, about just going with what feels right and how that's often more beneficial than what seems wrong, you know, because um, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a point where he, you know, quits his job in order to pursue this justice. And in the, at the end of the day, it's his pursuit of justice over the stability of his family that, that prevails in the end. Mm-hmm. Well, those are some wonderful messages. And thank you so much for telling us all about this film. It seems absolutely beautiful. Such a wonderful story. Such wonderful aesthetic. I cannot wait to see it. And you guys should check it out too. Woman in Gold is in the theaters now, so make sure you check that out. Willie, thank you so much for talking with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed my time here. Of course. Let's take a break. I'm your host, Raven Devaney, from Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids. person and you're trying to do everything you can to save the planet but are you doing enough we've got the right person to help you keep on thinking green mario jr is the host of alive and green the show is all about green tips staying environmentally friendly and having fun while doing something great for our mother earth you'll want to check out the show tuesdays at 2 p.m pacific time 5 p.m eastern time on the voice america kids channel if we all do our part now it'll only mean a brighter and better future for us later We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. There's so much going on in the tech field. The tech team is here to sort it all out so that you know exactly what you need to get and what you should avoid. In this age of cell phones and text messaging and new discoveries every single day, you need to be informed. We'll bring you previews of new products, technology news, and help you make the right decision when you are out there buying that new MP3 player, cell phone, or mobile device. Don't do a thing until you've tuned in to the tech team. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Kids. Keep it right here. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn your phone off. Another movie is coming up. Hey, and welcome back to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Raven Zivani, and you're listening to Voice America Kids. So right now we have with us Keeper. How are you doing today? 
Fantastic. How about you, Raven? I am doing very well. Awesome to be talking with my co-host. We often, we often don't get to talk to each other when we co-host the show, so it's nice. It's nice yeah. to talk. Um, so right now we are talking about The Longest Ride, which is a new film that came out by, you guys guessed it, Nicholas Sparks, <laughs> the, the king of, of romantic films. Uh, he has brought us such wonders as The Notebook and many other classics like that, making everybody's hearts melt. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this new uh, sort of edgier love story, The Longest Ride. The Longest Ride is about two people, Luke, played by Scott Eastwood, and Sophia, played by Britt Robertson, who are two people. Two people with different goals in their life, but they stay connected because they save a man played by Alan Older, whose name's Ira, and as Sophia visits him in the hospital, she reads love letters that he wrote to his wife, Ruth, played by Una Chaplin, and we learn about two love stories, both going through, both evidently going through the same kind of struggles as as they are in the present. So it's two stories that end up trying to make for romance and passion galore. That, I think that's so cool that they captured two different love stories that happened in different times, like one happened in the past and one happened yes. in the present. And it seems, I have not seen this film, but um, from what I can tell from reading about it and watching you know, previews and whatnot, it seems like the two love stories kind of parallel each other and have a lot well, of similarities. I have a question for you, Raven. You've seen the trailer, right? Yes. So, what do you think the film focuses on, judging by the trailer? Uh, love and bull riding. <laughs> now, see, that's what I think one of the main sort of problems. It's a nitpick, okay? But uh-huh. this film says it's about bull riding. It's about Luke and Sophia. Now, I feel like that the story centers around, and it's the most tender and interesting sorry, investing part of the whole film is the story of Ruth and Ira, which sets in the 1940s. So, that's, when I saw the film, that's what it's, that's where most of the attention came to. And, again, for me, it's kind of distracting because I'm trying to get involved with both stories, which are equally good. They're really good. I Mm want to get invested with Luke and Sophia because it actually is a very romantic um, connection. And same with Ruth and Ira. But Ruth and Ira's stories is just, so dramatic and just so it just talks about all the challenges they go through and they this is when they get married and everything so it's for me that story was just i like that story better and to be honest that got they more distracting for me to actually get invested with luke and sophia's story mm-hmm. so, well yeah. with that being said do you think that the two stories coincided well together or do you think that you would have changed it to make them a little bit more equal in the attention that it took from you well, I understand it's based off a book, Nicholas Spark, who's given us great romantic um, stories, and they're really good. I mean, I love The Notebook. I think it's a great film, mm-hmm. and I feel like the stories, for the most part, do intertwine, and they do work together, um, but I understand that a book is perceived in a different way than a film, so I feel like that it kind of, the two stories kind of equal each other um i I don't know i'm not trying to diss the film in any way it's a great film i do enjoy it and i it may sound real but i love romantic films i love ghost and titanic and pretty woman they're just romance romance films are are fantastic but i just don't feel like the the stories kind of feel forced at times but 
on the time stage, they all co- come together. I won't give away the ending, but it's like it's a perfect ending. It's a great ending for these two stories. Mm-hmm. And then it's just great. So I'm getting on my soapbox, but it's, I still like the film. I really do. Well, um, as you said, this is based off of a Nicholas Sparks novel who has brought us so many love stories. So many. Um, yeah, many, many love stories. And it is directed by George Tillman Jr. So how do you think um, he did taking... I don't know if you've read the novel. I'm assuming you haven't. Um, yes. But how do you think he did taking something that is um, a, a writing, like a novel, and translating it to the big screen? Do you think it translated well, or could you tell, like, oh, this was definitely a book first? Um, judging by I've um, the movie... I think the story, the two stories um, come together better in the book. I have not read it, but just judging by it, I think it did. Um, but with that said, this film does um, show the very romantic, tender romance between both couples very beautifully. I mean, there's each... Um, I do have to say that the filmmakers did give time for at least one or two scenes for each couple to have a very intimate moment. Mm-hmm. And I've, it's believable. I mean, Luke and Sophia's story is very believable. But I want to say for the record, this film is not about bull riding, really. Even though the title says Longest Ride, it's really not about bull riding. It's, it's about love and challenge. And mm-hmm. it's, it sounds sappy, I know, but it's, it is. It's okay. about these both couples just going through diff- who seem diff- like different people, but they stay together because of their love for each other. And it's, it's beautiful. It really is. Well, it sounds beautiful. You are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm your host, Raven Devaney, and today we have been talking about Woman in Gold, Furious 7, and right now we are talking with Kiefer about The Longest Ride, um, which is a new love story. And I think it's kind of cool, you mentioned... Um, just a moment ago that it isn't all about bull riding, which I think is cool because I'm not the biggest fan of like Western or country films. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the way the trailer is portrayed, it seems like that is a huge um, theme in the, in the story and in the film about him bull riding, but it sounds like it's not as prevalent or as important as mm-hmm. the relationship aspect, which I think is kind of cool because I'm definitely more into like the relationship between the two of them Instead of, you know, like, ooh, let's go ride some bulls and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally um, agree. Talk to me a little bit about the cinematography, because as you said, there are kind of flashbacks to the past, um, these two stories that happen in different time periods. What was the um, differentiation, if any, in the cinematography showing, like, this is the past, this is the present? Well, in the present with Luke and Sophia, it's very backwards countryman, kind um, South Carolina and all that, and it's that's again the different um, kind of, of course, cars are shown uh, more modern, and just um, the dialogue is more modern, of course. And in the with um, Ruth and Iowa's story, which is set in the 1940s, which starts in 1940s, of course, you see the dialogue is different, and the romance is definitely different because it was. Um, well, dating was different back then than it is now. Mm-hmm. And I do have to say that I, Luke, played by Scott Eastwood, who is Clint Eastwood's son, um, actually plays a really big gentleman. And that's very rare to see. And very rare to see. And it's kind of admirable because, like, oh, he's, he, um, he buys her dinner. Oh, he makes dinner for her. And it's just like, oh, it gets mushy. And 
So, no, the time periods I said, and I'm dodging your question, cinematography-wise, um, 1940s, the dresses, the clothing, the, the buildings, and the whole towns are different than in the modern days. So, yeah, it's very distinct, and you don't, you're not confused of whether or not you're in the 1940s or 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned uh, the cast a little bit, uh, Britt Robertson and Scott Eastwood, who is the legendary Clint Eastwood's um, yeah. son. How do you think the two of them did together uh, as a couple? And then along to, you know, Jack Hudson and Una Chaplin, who play uh, Ruth and Ira, how do you think they did as a couple? Oh, beautifully. I mean, these are wonderful additions to couples in cinema. I mean, we've seen many of them, and they're they're beautiful. I mean... It's your kind of rom- it's your typical romance with um um two different two pe- um with Luke and Sophia two different goals and um, drives one's bull riding and one loves the arts and well Sophia can't get into the bull riding um, business and well Luke has no idea why people like to buy thousands of dollars for scribbles on canvas so. <laughs> They're, that's where they kind of um, differ, but yet they still love each other, and they still find a way to compromise. And the other one, which is Ruth and Iris, again, I'm talking about two different stories, and it's kind of hard to differentiate them at times. But um, Ruth and Iris, are, they go through a challenge where they can't have kids, and Ruth really wants kids, and she wants a family. And that's where the, that's where the main struggle with, with them happens, but um, you have to see in the film what happens, but it's... I feel like both couples and both a- and all actors bring on believable performances to portray loving couples. And one minute I have to say that Una Chaplin, yes, she is the granddaughter of legendary filmmaker Charlie Chaplin. So we have a lot of um, oh, second, goodness. we have second generation actors and third generation actors, which is really cool to see. That's so cool. Well, the longest ride is in theaters on April 10th, and it is rated PG-13. It sounds like a beautiful film about love and and strength and challenge and perseverance. Um, So make sure you guys check it out, as I said, in theaters April 10th. Uh, Kiefer, thank you so much for talking with me all about this movie. It's always a pleasure getting to talk with you. Thanks for getting on my soapbox. It's been a pleasure. Of course, of course. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. You can experience more Kids First fun, watch our film reviews, find out how you can become a part of the Kids First family, and see your favorite up-and-coming film critics by going to www.kidsfirst.org. And make sure you check out our blog on the Huffington Post. I'm your host, Raven Devaney, from Kids First Coming Attractions, produced by Kidstar, and you're listening to Voice America Kids. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Now you know what to see. And speaking of see, we'll see you again next week. My name is Lizzie Marie from Bookworm. Now from the Kids Start Album of the Month, here is the Wiz Pops and their song, Anglerfish.
Wisp Pops from the Kidstar Album of the Month. 